Today on the show, we're talking about impulse buying. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. I'm your host, Courtney. I'm joined with Trevor. And today we're talking about impulse buying. But before we get to that, there's a little little couple housekeeping things we want to talk about. So the first thing is, instead, we've been releasing episodes every Monday up to now, but starting from uh, this week, we're going to be starting to release episodes every Tuesday. As well, we thought, what better time to cover some listener write-ins than this episode? So we're going to do a couple of listener write-ins and then get right into our show today on impulse buying. So Trevor, we're going to go straight to our first, we're going to stop at our contact submission form. So if you do want to write into us, you can always write into us um, at our website, livelifesimple.ca. We have a contact submission form um, at the top and you can always write into us with your thoughts, questions, um, and we'll get back to them on opportunities like this. So our first write-in is from Nathan, and we want to mention this one, but um, Nathan wrote into us because we mentioned we were going to publish a book list of all of Trevor's kind of favorite books and reads that he, he mentions and that he, he brings up throughout the episodes. I call it a personal finance uh, library, but actually once I start accumulating a list of all the books I, I've put on my book list, a lot of them are behavioral in motivational books, and that's what really moves the needle on personal finance. It's not the math or understanding how money works. It's really your behavior and how you use money. So if you go to our book list, you're going to see a lot of books that are really geared toward changing how you conduct your life, how you view the world, and ultimately how you spend money. And I, I think that point right there, Trevor, is something that I think is important to discuss too, because Yes, we are categorized within the kind of the personal finance um, business section of iTunes, but we've recently, we've, we've talked on and off again about even transitioning our podcast from the business to more of the lifestyle because really, and, and we've got comments and writings about this too, that we do a lot of talking about kind of more concepts that aren't really specific to business, but I think that encompasses kind of our behavioral approach to personal finance. And I always say personal finance is 10% math, 90% behavior. People don't get into financial trouble because they can't do math. They, they can't, they're not in financial trouble because they, there's, they, they didn't know that I make this much money, I spend this much money, and it turned out to be a negative number. That wasn't the problem. It was controlling their, their impulses, their behavior, and just how they live their life. And that translates into savings and prosperity. We do talk a lot about lifestyle and, and behavioral issues, but it always we always tie it back to how it relates to your personal finances. So I think we will always be a personal finance podcast, but the books I read and that, that help me get through life financially are all behavioral driven. And if you have any recommendations or if you've read any of the books on the book list, definitely let us know what you thought of them or, or recommendations for us because they, they can definitely help to uh, further further what we talk about on the podcast. So thank you, Nathan, for that. And again, our book list can be found on our website, livelifesimple.ca. Um, we have another write-in from Chris. And Chris uh, says he loves our podcast. It's great and getting better all the time. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. And um, he looks forward to every new podcast episode that comes out. He says the sound quality is top-notch and the format is fantastic. However, his one criticism is Trevor interrupting people as they talk. Chris, I... I I didn't realize I did it as much as I did. And you'd think me being the person that edits the podcast, I would have the foresight to edit that out. But I 
I get so passionate about topics that I can't help myself but to just jump in and give my two cents. And I do that in real life too. So it's not just on the podcast. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely a personality flaw I have. And since he's mentioned that, I, I have been working on it as much as possible or editing out when, when my, my efforts fail me. But I do appreciate being called out on something like that because I've been in conversations maybe at parties and stuff where, where you're trying to make a point and somebody constantly interrupts you. I will say I've had no criticism from my fellow podcasters, so they're, they're, not, <laughs> they're, they're not being offended by my interruptions. But uh, I do appreciate that kind of feedback and, and I do take it as, a, as constructive and I'm gonna, I am working on it. So thank you, Chris. So we're going to move on to our email um, and you can always send us an email at livelifesimple365 at gmail.com. We'll have uh, the the links for both our website and our email and our show notes. You can refer there. But Sonny wrote in an, an incredible email, um, enjoying, the, enjoying the podcast and steadily listening through the episode. So thank you for joining us. Um, Sonny says... Uh, Asani asked us essentially if we'd ever thought about recording a podcast with the cultural differences when it comes to discussing money. And I, I want to say that this email came in quite a while ago and we've been sort of, I've been wrestling with the crafting of response to this. The question was, how, how do you sort of bridge that gap? You know, how do you have a meeting in the minds where maybe your parents came from a, immigrated to Canada and, and they view money and personal finance differently than, than you grew up in this country viewing it? And, and I'm going to say sometimes you can't bridge that gap. And sometimes it, you have to change the, the legacy of, of your future generations by, by starting a new philosophy or mentality around money rather than carrying on what worked for a generation before you. So I, I would say you, rather than spending efforts trying to bridge that gap between the generation before you into you, I would focus on how you're going to create a legacy going forward for the generations that are going to follow you. And I completely agree with that. And I, I also want to commend Sonny for creating a currently working on a financial literacy program for, stu uh, for university students at, in the Ryerson library. Sonny, uh, works at Ryerson university and it's incredible to see, I see, I see something like this happening because we did, we did do an episode on the increase of, um, the needing of financial literacy among students of, of all ages. So I think, I think it's incredible and, um, I really, really appreciate your email, Sonny. So I think that is it for the latest and greatest, um, write-ins and, and things to kind of mention here. If you have anything you'd ever, you'd ever like us to feature on the podcast or any comments on any recent episodes, definitely write in. We, we love to discuss and hear the differing perspectives. So without further ado, let's jump into today's episode on impulse buying. Yeah. So impulse buying, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who has not fallen victim to an impulse buy. And it, it's really it's going to be different for different people. Like your impulses are, are, are triggered by something and it could be surrounding yourself with a group of people that, that sort of motivate you to make bad financial decisions. It could be, um, your, you know, the latest and greatest product that comes on the market. You just have this dying, burning desire to have it. It could be books. You know, you could be an impulse buyer in books. You think if, if I get this book, it's going to change my life. So I'm just going to grab it and hope, hope for the best. Uh, I think with impulse buys, you have to know your trigger and be able to manage that trigger. Would you say that it's it's 
okay to have a few areas where you are an impulse buyer. It's impulse buying always something that you should try to move away from. See, I think you have to move away from impulse buys. When it becomes impulsive, it means it's it's out of your control. You are no longer managing your actions when it's impulsive. So I think you have to learn how to control and squash those impulsive actions. If you're an impulse eater, you're, you're eating and it's beyond your conscious controls. So it's the same with spending. You're, you're spending unconsciously, you know, subconsciously. You're, you're spending money and, and not even knowing why. It, it, there's zero thought into any impulse action. So to me, it is super dangerous and it, it has to be defeated. So when we talk about impulse buying, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but I mean, I think we're all familiar with the impulse impulse buy shelves in stores. They're the the end caps in aisles, and they're they're the they're the product near the checkout right before you leave. But but impulse buying can be pretty much anything that you feel again impulsive when you're around to purchase. You know, do you know anybody who's an impulse saver? Do you know people who there's just their impulse to see? Nobody's complaining about that, right? Well, I, I do actually. I, I'm laughing. I'm laughing, but I think it's. I think it is a thing. I mean, there are people who 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 begrudge spending money. That's an inaction. You know, that's True. you doing nothing. Yeah. Right. So, impulse always tends to be a negative thing, right? I, I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of a thing where my impulse creates positive, because it, it's never thought out. So those those things that the, that you're saying at the cash register when you're checking into a store, those are all impulse items, and they're all at a price point where most people will consider it insignificant, and they'll just throw it on the on the conveyor belt. Actually, I w- I was I was just in MEC Mountain Equipment Co-op on the weekend, and they have a a queue that you get in to to go pay for things, and this queue is just it is everything in there is like under ten dollars. And it, it, it's just all little gadgets. And I seen people, while I was staying in line, I, I didn't fall victim to it. But I watched, I, I must have watched a thousand dollars, because it was a pretty long line, a thousand dollars of little trinkets dropping into everyone's basket. Well, you know, I was just doing quick math in my head. It was it was a long line. It was a Saturday. It was a busy day. And those were all impulse actions. Like th- this is not something was, some, nobody was checking something off of a list gadget keychain check you know that that was <laughs> nobody came there to buy that right so everything there was just you know they're just popping in their cart and you just added 10 or 20 dollars to your bill and and i think that's the most mec specifically or any kind of niche store like that i think is very dangerous because if you're into outdoor equipment all those little gadgets and and things always look really really appealing those impulses are not gonna make or break you financially uh, long term you know that that's not that that's not what this podcast is about but it might be a sign that you have impulsive actions when it comes to to buying things like if ten dollars is, is not gonna you know f- make you flinch when you throw it in your basket how much will you know what, what's that price point that that'll make you flinch i think you need to be aware of that and and you talked about how you didn't fall victim to those specific impulse buys but is there is there other categories of, of imp- that you kind of do fall victim to well my my weakness in in general is consumer electronics I, I tend to like the latest technology like when bluetooth speakers became a thing i i i did my darndest to hold out as long as i possibly could 
And it wasn't until there was a, a Bose speaker, which they were discontinuing, and it was it was a half price. And I mean, these are like all excuses, but I must have held out for, I don't know, maybe a year and a half from the, the moment I saw Bluetooth speakers and, and they were a thing. And I said, oh boy, I got to have one of those. <laughs> and, Why does it not surprise me? So I consider that a pretty decent restraint. Um, and it was anything but an impulse. After I, I, I was watching these things for a year and a half. So I would, I would call that a thought out purchase. Trevor, if you listen really closely, you can hear our listeners all uh, screaming Bluetooth earbuds. <laughs> well, you know, and that those things are, are, they can be fairly inexpensive. I mean, if you're going to have a vice, make sure it's a, a low cost one. True. Actually, you know, whenever a new phone is released, I'll say the iPhone. Why not? <laughs> when they do a new release uh, and the, that release date comes out, people get in line whether they need a phone or not, they, they've just, they've trained themselves to say, I'm getting the latest phone. You know, I, I have to have it. And to me, even though you've thought about this for, you know, usually from the time they announce it to the time they have it in their stores, it's, it's maybe three months. It, it, they make it feel like you've thought this out. But it, it actually, I, I consider that an impulse buy. So, so you're saying that, I mean, individuals who who want to have a product first or, or want to be kind of a lead, uh, a trendsetter within a specific industry that counts as impulse buying. I think it does because somebody is, is convincing you, you need this, the, the need didn't arise. Like your phone didn't stop working. And then you said, Oh, I should go get a new phone. To me, that's not an impulse. You're fulfilling a need. So, you know, something stopped working. You go get one that does. But when you have a perfectly working phone, and you go out and buy another phone because it has, you know, facial recognition. To me, that's an impulse buy. It's not fulfilling a need. It's fulfilling a want. And marketing, marketing convinced you that you wanted it. I was going to say that I'm marketing and, and marketing tactics are definitely at the root of, of all of this from, from sales, uh, exclusive sales and, and one time only deals that definitely drives our, our, our desire to have these products. Like I've said this before, Apple is the master at this. They make my phone seem like a brick. Like, I mean, it is the most useless piece of glass and metal on the face of the earth because this new phone is the best phone ever. And this I, I thing in my pocket. I think they even say that. I think they even say this they is do. the best they, every time. phone ever. Like, why would, it, why would they release anything but the best <laughs> phone ever? But... Uh, they make they make your your existing phone seem like a completely useless piece of glass and metal that you need to I'm surprised it still makes calls right it's so <laughs> they're the masters at, at at creating this trigger of impulse buying so we kind of talked about what exactly impulse buying is let's talk now about ways to beat impulse buying with an article by Leo Babato it's uh, it's from the simple dollar.com. And again, it's, it's just 10 reasons or 10 ways to, to beat the urge to spend. Um, Trevor, before actually, before we do launch though, into this, how, I mean, I, any, any of our listeners may be listening to this who maybe are affected by kind of impulse buying, like there's, they're raising our hand right now and saying, yes, like that's me. It's, I would say it's pretty common to, to fall victim at some point to impulse buying. 
I think everybody has a weakness to impulse buying. I think it's just important to know know what yours is, know what your triggers are, and and put into place some sort of support system or some accountability partner to help you through when you're having a weak moment. I mean that that is the way to beat this. Definitely. So while we're talking about beating, let's uh, let's talk about point number one here on beat the urge to spend. And number one is create a thirty day list. So this, this, this list is essentially writing down everything you, you, you can't buy. So, so you find something you want to buy, you write it on this list, and then you don't buy it for 30 days. It's kind of this waiting period. So I'm going to go one step further. So what me and my wife do is at the beginning of every year, not January 1st, but near the beginning of the year, it could be the end of January, we sit down, we'll go to like a, a coffee shop or somewhere, not, not at home. And, and we'll create a list of all the things we need to, you know, spend money on the house or, or things we wanted to buy or need to buy in the upcoming year. And, and we'll, we'd say everything, I'd say $500 or, or and up, we'll make the list. We wouldn't put like incidental things on there. And, and we put this on our list and then we figure out, you know, can we afford to do this? And if, if we can't, we prioritize things, maybe take things off. So we do a, a, a one year list of things we, we need or want to buy and we just stick to that list and we might even, you know, put them in order when we need to get them or want to get them. And to me, that that's is, is the, the most opposite thing of impulse you can get. So when we actually go out and buy a, a new computer or say we needed tires for our car or, you know, it could be a luxury, it could be a mandatory item, but it's on the list we feel that we've thought it through and and then once it's on the list i can sort of do my research and say you know where's the best place to buy this you know what's the best model or what's the best price or is there a warranty with it and and by the time we go around to getting it we're we're so prepared that we we feel that we we can't be taken by anybody and we weren't uh, sucked in by marketing we we thought this out this was this is predetermined we did this a year in advance so a 30 day list is a good idea i'm not knocking it but why not step it up and do a 365-day list? I I absolutely love that, first of all. And I have two kind of branch-off questions from that. So my first branch-off question is, what if things do arise? I mean, it, we're, t- we're not talking about n- new new appliances if they break down, such as a new refrigerator or a new washer and dryer. We're not talking about those. We're talking about actual actual things that may come up does that ever happen what it, like your computer your mac that you use for recording podcasts on i guess that's a stop working thing is there anything i guess and I, let me just ask you is there anything that comes up that is not on the list is over 500 and you actually do need to purchase it or is that just you making an excuse so if things if things come up and if it's a luxury item that say stopped working and so I do this podcast and I need a computer to do it. So I don't consider that a luxury doing this podcast is, you know, I'm committed to doing this. I, for In my world, it's not a luxury, but let's just say my fridge stopped working. I would hope I'd be smart enough to have that on my list. My, my fridge is 12 years old. I would hope I would have the foresight to say, you know what, we should be start thinking about a fridge. We haven't bought one in a while. So even for mandatory items like a washer, I mean, if one of those things did break down and it wasn't on my list, I, obviously I'd have to replace it, but I'd hope I would have the foresight to know that these things are aging and they need to go on my list. So, so by the sounds of it, your list is very uh, comprehensive, even if even the maybes are on the list. 
Well, it's a well thought out. It's not something we take lightly because generally we're talking big ticket items. So we want to think it through. So it's something we, we, we put a lot of time and energy into. So are the nice to have luxuries then on this list? If, if you're getting a new, getting a new tent for camping or if you're, or just, just smaller things that you, you are hoping to kind of build into your budget. It absolutely is. And in the, I put those things on there and it gives you this, this bird's eye view of, am I spending a lot of money on luxury items or am I spending a lot of money on necessity items? So you can really see that you, you know, you're, you're not spending money frivolously. Like when you get this big picture of you of, of all the money you're going to spend in a year on, on big ticket items. And if they, if you look down the list and they're all luxury items, all wants, none of them are needs. You might think, well, wait a minute, are we moving into a, a lifestyle that we're going to regret? You can kind of look at it and say, you know, this is not the direction we want to go in. Yeah, no, I, Trevor, I absolutely, I'm just, I'm very moved by how, how I was going to say seemingly simple this concept is in that it really does give you this overview picture of, and, and it put some things into perspective as well. If you have, if you have maybe something that, that doesn't quite fit, you can kind of put your make, make a list of priorities like you said it's I, it's a fantastic suggestion i definitely think it will hopefully i'm, I'm going to implement it myself in uh, my own life as well and i'm going to say so you got to go prepared so we take a, a laptop computer with us we go to somewhere where we can get wi-fi connection so we're not dealing with what ifs and maybes you know we if, if we're wondering what something costs and we want to put on the list we can we can do a bit of research while we're there and look it up but i, I would caution don't do it at home where you can be distracted or, you know, you could glance over at your fridge and say, well, that fridge still looks okay. You could talk yourself out of it. Put yourself in a different environment. Don't, don't do it at home. You know, go out on a date. Call it a, a finance planning date. <laughs> it's romantic as that sounds. <laughs> over some candlelight <laughs> dinner. And, uh, and either go equipped with hard dollar numbers that, you know, you're not making stuff up. Or, or take a, a tablet or computer with you so you can look things up. And, and of course, the spreadsheet. <laughs> Of course. It's the solution to most most of life's problems is a Build spreadsheet. Build a spreadsheet. You heard it yeah. here first. So uh, th- that's number one. Um, and again, it takes the, the number one was create a 30-day list and then extend it to a 365-day list. Number two on the how to beat the urge to spend is don't go to the mall. So or or in this instance, kind of any place where you can mindlessly shop. So don't go to these places where you can mindlessly shop unless you have a specific necessity necessity to purchase. And we did a show called on retail therapy, which is where people go out shopping to relieve stress. I mean, you should only go into retail establishments with a purpose, right? You go in there to go in, get what you need, get out because you start browsing and bad things are going to happen. So even when I mentioned that mountain equipment co-op store, I was at where it had that queue line and all those trinkets that they, that that were like $10 or less, just put the blinders on when you get in there and just, just don't get sucked in. Cause what, what happens if, if you just go browsing in a mall, you will convince yourself that you can't believe you don't have this thing already, you know, the way they market things in a mall. So it, it, it is, I, I, I prefer to go out walking in the woods in nature. I do know people that just go to the mall to relax. And I think that is a very dangerous thing. So number three on this list, and similar to don't go to the mall, is don't go to online re- retail sites. 
And I mean, Amazon is the obvious mention here, but I want to extend this to actual clothing online retailers and, and even item online retailers. I, I know I get sucked in this all the time. If, if I'm in the market for a new pair of, of pants or work, I'll, I'll do a little bit beforehand research to see what's available at, um, at a store I want to visit, but then I end up getting sucked into the other various clothing items, shirts, jackets, and, and then one thing leads to another and I'm marching to the store with a, with a long laundry list of, of items I want to purchase. I know people that have Amazon set as their homepage. So as soon as they open the web browser, Amazon comes up. That's so dangerous, especially because there's the, a list of, of kind of some, uh, some picks on, on the main page there. That's... I mean, they track everything you've looked at and they're suggesting things to buy. They looked at what you've bought and, you know, maybe you should consider this as well. This is an accessory to that. I mean, they are managing you in, in the most finite details of, of your every move online to have that set as your homepage, to me, is just a recipe for disaster. Oh, it is. That's, that's, and, and the thing is, I do want to note that I think, I think we all feel, I mean, when I was in school and in my business classes, we kind of, we looked at marketing tactics and I think, I, I don't, you don't even need to go to business school to, to think that you were beyond the marketing tactics that these companies use. I mean, they're very, very basic but I think they, I think we, none of us are, or almost none of us are beyond every single tactic in that they, we, they, we are affected by them at some level. No, they, everybody could succumb to some marketing tactic of some kind. I, I, I highly doubt anybody is that invincible. It, it really does affect us at a very, a very subconscious level. And, and I think that is where the danger is in that we are not always aware. And I, I, I do stand firm that I think impulse impulse buyings is is really kind of an awareness issue and that gaining awareness I think is half half the battle so let's move on to point number four on how to beat the urge to spend and number four here is monitor your urges so this point is about kind of just being aware of, of how you feel and and when you get kind of the urge to to buy something what symptoms you feel what uh, physiological symptoms kind of faster breathing rate faster heart rate just things that, that happen to you in those moments so here's somebody, I know somebody who, whenever something goes wrong in their life, their instinct is to go buy a book about that problem. Knowing how many books this person has, they can't have, can't have possibly read all of them. And they're, they're literally, if there's a relationship problem, they're out looking for a book on relationships. If there's a, a home renovation problem, they're out getting a book on home renovations. If something goes wrong with their car, they're out getting an a owner's manual on that car. This person will buy a book for whatever problem comes up in their life rather than maybe looking internally or, or reaching out to a friend for support. But know what your triggers are. What, 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 what triggers you to go spend money? And I talked about this earlier. Like, I know what my triggers are. And I, I, I have somebody in my life where I can say, do you think I need this? You know, you got to have somebody in your life where you can. And you know if you can trust that person, if they say no as many times as they say yes then they're probably a good resource. If you find a, a support person that says, oh yeah, you deserve that, <laughs> you've probably got a, a bad support system, right? So yeah. you need to find somebody who, who will say no. And, and I think that's really important. And it might be, you know, you can go to, just say your, your weakness is consumer electronics. You might have one person you reach out to who, who you know is, you can count on to say you know, that's, that's not a good decision. 
And for clothing, you might have another support person. So it's not going to be the same support person for every trigger you have, but you got to find somebody you can count on, like a good friend, a family member, somebody who will keep you honest. And I really like, I really like what you just said there about that kind of that question. I, do I need this? I think that's a good question to continually ask yourself. And maybe the question of this episode to kind of, to kind of always go back to, do I really need this? But if you, if it's impulse, you can't ask yourself. It, it's, it's beyond that. You need to ask a support person, somebody, uh, an accountability partner, somebody, you need to ask somebody else, do I need this? Exactly. You know, you, and so when you feel that trigger and you know what you, you feel that pit in your stomach or that, you know, you start getting a sweat or whatever it is that you, you, you sense, you pick up the phone, text message, whatever it takes, reach out to that person, you know, send them a picture of what you're thinking of buying. And hopefully if they're, you know, really reliable, they'll talk you out of it, you know, and those people will get to know the words that work for you, right? Like saying, girl, you got one of those or <laughs> I don't know, you know. Gee, that looks like the that looks like one you already have, you know. Or how is that different? My my wife will, she's my biggest accountability partner, and she will ask in such a polite, you know, soft, touching way, saying, "And how's that different than one that's sitting on your dresser?" And and I say, and, and you know, if I if it takes more than like two minutes to come up with a reason how it's different, I know it's not very different. You know, you just need that person to shed some sanity on a situation. Because I, I really, it's, it's almost like when kind of, we get emotionally involved if it's, uh, if we're in a, like the relationship should we share with other people, sometimes we can't really uh, evaluate those relationships when we're in those relationships. It could be a friendship. It could be a partnership. It could be a business partnership. And until, until it kind of takes an outside person removed emotionally to really help you evaluate that situation. So I think, I think when it comes to items that we kind of are impulsively want, there is that kind of level of kind of emotional commitment. So here's a story that, that kind of, uh, this was an odd support person I had show up in my life unexpectedly. So everyone knows about this suit I bought at Value Village. <laughs> the infamous suit. <laughs> Everybody knows. <laughs> I don't know anybody that does know about this suit, but when I was shopping for the suit, I was in a, in a thrift store trying in a value village trying on a suit and I, I got a suit and I, I swear it had never been worn. It was like, like nobody wore this suit. I was the first person to ever put it on. And so I come into the change room and I got it on and my wife was probably getting tired of looking at these suits. Right. So I said, what do you think? So I got it on, I turned around and she's kind of saying, you know, she's probably thinking we're never going to find a perfect fitting suit for you. So this might be as good as it gets. And this lady was standing sort of just nearby and she walks over and she goes, nope, just like that. Nope. <laughs> so my wife maybe was having a weak moment. She was sort of nodding her head saying, you know, I've seen you in enough suits. Let's just take that one and, and move on. It's, it's only 30 bucks, right? But this lady come, uh, she come from a probably, you know, 10 or 15 feet away to walk over. And she just said that one word. Nope. <laughs> so, and I, I you know, we, so we both were going to, you know, impulsively buy this um, $30 suit, obviously not going to make or break me, but these, these support people, this, this support system could come from anywhere. So just, you have to be open-minded to it. I, I, a great example. I love it. So point number five here is take a deep breath. And, and, and this point is really just about finding a way to, to remove yourself from the situations, take a step back and reevaluate. 
Well, and I don't know if I agree with this because if if you're if you have an impulse that that, that is going to result in an action, it's going to take a pretty disciplined person to stop and take a breath. You have to be pretty uh, dialed in to your triggers and know that this is an impulse and I should stop and take a breath. So I, I, I think this is probably, I'm not going to say bad advice, but they're making it sound easier than it is. And I, I agree with you. I think this this point is definitely a lot easier said than done. But And I, and I think that this is the type of point that comes in kind of any any situation if, if you're maybe you you eat if you're an emotional eater or I think this this kind of point of taking a deep breath and stepping back I think is challenging but could be kind of the game changer in that moment like if we could all take a breath Apple would be out of business true true um so point number six here is calculate the value in life energy so I let, let, I do want to kind of I, I kind of explain kind of maybe the the, the life energy part of this um, before we jump into kind of your version of this, Trevor, but the the way this kind of the the life energy works is that we instead of looking at um, the the money we make in dollars, it's it you look at kind of the hours of work hours that you spend earning that money. So you look at items in in, in hours. So if you were going to buy something for twenty five dollars, that would represent an hour of life's energy that you've just spent. If, if your if your hourly um, wage is twenty five dollars twenty five dollars yeah so I kind of look at it in a different way so just go big ticket item so say I was thinking of buying a sixty five thousand dollar pickup truck which I would have lost my mind if I did but just I never would this is a fictional story <laughs> <laughs> so let's just say I bought a sixty five thousand truck so I would have reduced my wealth by sixty five thousand dollars and I would. I, that would be $65,000 I'd have less to invest and get returns from for the rest of my life. So for me, spending money on big ticket items that I that are wants, not needs, will deplete my future incomes for the rest of my life. That's powerful. That's really powerful. It's hard to look at it that way when, say, you're 20. Uh, you don't have much money invested and you can't really get a sense for what capital can do for you invested but when you get closer to retirement and you have a lot invested you, you could just imagine what $65,000 could could do to your investments so it, it, that that's sort of that helps me through a lot of impulses and even if you're not close to retirement i mean if you're in your in your 20s or 30s i think this point is still extremely valuable because I think, I mean, I, I, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure financial independence is, is on your radar and important at some level. So I, I think we can all kind of really identify with, with that, with that kind of mentality, Trevor, because we, we can all, we can all think about items and, and think about how much is this item setting me back from my end goal of financial independence. But when you're in your twenties, you, I know you think you can work forever. Right. That, that, that's the when you're in your 20s, you, you probably think you're going to be working forever or you could work forever. But when you're in your 50s, you're kind of wondering when this is going to end. So it, it's a different mindset. So I think thinking about it in an hourly rate works when you're younger. But when you're older, particularly if, if your hourly rate has gone up, it, it's another way of sort of managing that life's energy. So point number seven here, seven of 10 is plan your purchases. So this point 
revolves around making a list before you go shopping and really sticking to that list to prevent putting things into your cart or basket that that are impulsive. So my son recently bought a, a bicycle at a at a high end bike shop, and he he bought a low end bike at a high end bike shop. <laughs> uh, so it it and when we're in there, they they um they said you know if you buy a bike, you get ten percent off accessories, and you know this is this would be unplanned purchases, right? You went in there to buy a bike. They're often if you buy the bike, you get ten percent off all the accessories you buy when you buy the bike. So you have to buy them that day. So they're trying to create you to be impulsive. Now, uh, my my son also said, you know, if I see a a pump, a bicycle pump, I, I want to get that as well. He was saying that on the way to the store, and it turns out that's he got ten percent off that pump, but that was on his list. But they're trying to create an impulsive environment, manipulating you through your purchases by giving you the. And this is a common thing. I mean, you buy a big ticket item, like a car. And they, they try to sell you on accessories. So it, it, it's it's a way to get sucked in. And you, that can be very impulsive when, you, when you're spending, you know, big dollars. The little ones don't seem that significant. And I think the problem, too, is that, like you said earlier in the episode, Trevor, there are, there are th- we go to stores and there are things there that we quote unquote didn't think we needed and because we, we obviously didn't don't own it and we're, maybe weren't aware that it was in, in in existence and maybe it looks like a good idea to have well if you didn't know about it it, it and you didn't know you needed it before it, it it's definitely a want and if you end up leaving with it it was definitely an impulse Definitely. And I think, I think that kind of point right there is, is important. I know one specific store that sucks me in is, uh, is chapters. If anyone has ever been there recently, um, their collection of, of things is really increasing. Yes, they're a bookstore, but I always get so, uh, sucked into their home house, houseware department with their cups and their, and they're just the, the really cool, um, uh, coasters and picture frames and, and that, those kind of decor items. And so I, I know that can be, that is kind of, I think my, my downfall is, is, uh, is chapters and in that kind of section. Yeah. If you walk into a bookstore and you walk out with a picture frame, <laughs> guess what? That, you, you had an impulse buy. Yeah. Yeah. Red, red, red flag. Should down. I haven't yet. I haven't yet walked into chapters with, I, I don't think I have succumbed to that kind of influence, but it, it, that is where I can feel my heart racing and my, my, my fingers twitching. And so I, that, that is mine. I think, so I think out of that, it's important to realize, yeah, what is your, what's your weakness store and what's your weakness item? And you know what the worst one is? So see, you go to Walmart to get groceries. And of course, Walmart sells everything else. Look in your cart when you're leaving and just see how many things in there aren't groceries. And those are those all represent possibly impulsive purchases. Yeah, because if, if you think about it, I mean... Uh, this this article makes clear that impulse buy buys generally, and I'm going to say generally, aren't food because if you are trying to maintain maybe a, uh, a health focused lifestyle and leave with lots of a food a food you don't consider healthy, then yeah, those are some impulse buys. But I'm with you. You should I think really evaluate what kind of items are are important. I think one thing, well, we're just kind of talking about essentials here. I have and in my budget too. I have this kind of hygiene, personal hygiene. Um, category. And I think that category for some may get a little bit, a little bit skewed and messy because I mean, when it comes to kind of 
body care items, you may you may easily convince yourself that it's because of its where what category it would go in with your budget. It's it's a necessity, and I think when we go to stores like when there's stores like Lush and Bath and Body Works with um, kind of your high end soap and, and bath products, I think that can that's where it can kind of fall apart and get out of hand. Point number eight here on our list of 10 ways to beat impulsive buying is freeze your credit card. So this point literally, it, t- it talks about putting your your credit card in the Ziploc baggie in and, and literally putting it in the freezer. Yeah, you fill the baggie with water, put it in the freezer, and then all you can't get your credit cards. Well, that doesn't help online shopping is your, your devices and your computers tend to remember your credit card numbers. I think if you're relying on this, you probably have a really big problem. You know, if, if, if putting your credit cards in, in a block of ice is going to help you, then you probably need to seek uh, some serious help with your impulse buying. I mean, I, the idea of this is I, I do I do like the kind of underlying philosophy about this. If, if you do, if you have kind of a support partner in your life who maybe would benefit from this or, or, or even just kind of helping someone with this. I think the idea of it, it could be beneficial. Here's what I do. So if I'm going shopping for a big ticket item, so beginning of the year was on my list of things I, I think I'm going to buy this year. Like say I need a new fridge uh, or a dishwasher or a wash machine. I, I'm not the person that just goes out and buys one. I need to go out and sort of look and say, you know, what's available, what kind of features, you know, are out there and how much do they cost? Then I come home and I sort of ponder, you know, what I saw and, and me and my wife will sort of digest that and say, uh, you know, we really don't need these kind of features. We should go for the low end one or, or maybe these features look really handy and we should go for the high end one. We sort of talk it through, right? We reason it out and then we go back and buy it. So rather than falling impulsive to the most expensive one or the shiniest one, you know, maybe if you just left your credit cards at home when you went big box store shopping for big ticket items, leave your credit cards at home. Then when you get there, you can't buy it. And all you can do is look. So, you know, this is a step down from putting a block of ice. Just leave your credit card home so you know nobody's going to pressure you into buying something because you literally, you haven't got a payment method on you. I, I really like that. I think it's, it works especially well for, for big ticket items. So here's one where I, I left my credit card at home as I do when I'm shopping for big ticket items. And I was looking for a washing machine and I got to the, it was a Home Depot and um, they have the washers and dryers side by side. And my wa- my dryer was perfectly fine, but shiny red washer and dryer looked so great beside each other. I almost got sucked in and bought the washer and dryer only, but I only needed a washer. Had I had my credit card with me, may, maybe I would have succumbed to that because it was a deal. If you bought the set, the, the both of them, you got them, you know, at, at somewhat of a reduced price. But I, I only needed one. I, I would have been throwing out a perfectly working dryer and I would have paid a premium to get these two. So th- there's a case where I, I may, I, I'm not saying I would have, but that's an example where you could get sucked in if you have your credit card with you. But I got home. I got looking at my dryer saying there is nothing wrong with this. I, I am not going to buy a new dryer. So I'm guessing the salespeople did a fantastic job at, at, at telling you how they work together and how their their compatibility with one another. And No, they kind of just said they're both shiny. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> they, would, they just said they would look great in your laundry room. So They had you at uh, shiny. And, 
I don't doubt they would have, but I, 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 I may have fallen victim to it. But you know that that coming home and then then pondering and saying, you know what, I do not need another dryer. What am I going to do with this dryer? So I end up buying the washer only. So point number nine here is ask questions, and ask questions is really just about inward reflection and and, and asking yourself and or even your accountability partner the questions of does this help me meet my life goals? Will it simplify my life? Will will is, is this purchase just supposed to make me feel better? You know, ask yourself, is this a need or a want? And maybe ask your accountability person, you know, does this sound like a need or a want? Ask a bunch of people, you know, if, if, if you feel that you, this may be impulsive, reach out to your people, your accountability people and say, does this sound like something I need or does this sound like something I want? To me, that is the question that needs to be asked. And last but not least in this list is keep the end in mind. So this really is about having clear goals and and keeping those goals a- ahead of you at all times and and really really focusing on um, on and what those goals are, whether it be savings or or working to purchase something. So our tagline in our podcast is your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. And I think you need to be deliberate in the things you choose, like impulse buying is anything but deliberate. So keeping the end in mind, if if you want financial independence early in life, you cannot afford to be impulsive. You need to be deliberate in, in the, the way you spend your money, in the behaviors you have with money. I, I think if you have an end in mind, like if you have a why, if you have a why you're being deliberate with your money, you know, because you want to retire early, because you want to retire, period, if you have that why, the how to get there by not being impulsive, those things become easy. But it's having your why. I completely agree. So Trevor, that brings us to the end of today's article and episode. Um, if our listeners have anything they'd like to, to add, if they have any ways that they like to, you like to be impulsive buying or, or strategies that have worked for you or, or things that maybe are your weaknesses when it comes to impulsive buying, definitely send us an email or hit, or leave a comment on our contact submission form. We'd love to love to hear about the, the strategies you have in place. So, and don't forget again that our episodes are now going to be released every Tuesday. So look forward to uh, new episodes then. We're coming up in episode 100 very soon. We have something special planned for, for that. Um, but we will, we'll see you back next week for another episode. Thank you so much for being with us and we will, uh, we'll see you soon until then. Keep it simple.